In Jesus' precious name, we pray God. People say aloud. Amen. Come on, let's go on a good clap offering. Whoa! God is in the house. Philip is seated. Wow. So this is our third service. And we've already had two services over the weekend. And those of you who are here for the first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, and if you can stay back for a while afterwards, we're going to have our DNA tea where we welcome newcomers. So if you are new here, all right, you can walk in afterwards at 2.30, right, into Sanctuary, where we have well over 100 newcomers already. We do this about a few times a year. So today, uh, it just coincides with our DNA tea where we welcome newcomers, especially for you. So you will be our special guest. And then, of course, I will share uh, about the history of SIBKL, our core values, our vision, and so on. And then you can ask me questions, any question you like about the church and so on. So 2.30, if you can have your lunch afterwards and come back to Sanctuary when we have our DNA team. Okay, so today we've got a very, very special speaker. And uh, yeah, so he's a fantastic pastor. You know, I mean, honestly, I, I, he's very, very bright as well. The medical doctor graduated from Oxford. And I, it is something uh, very few of you know. He, 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 he belongs to the 5% of nerds, 5% of super, super intelligent blokes. Who, he, he's a Mensa member, member of Mensa. He won't, he, he won't, he won't tell you that, but I tell you this, all right? He's so, so he's so bright, you know, he's a member of Mensa. And more important than the fact that he's intelligent, he's also very godly, very, very godly. Uh, husband of one wife. I'm going to only one, only one wife, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? And three children, three children and grandchildren, Akan Datang. I think, praise the Lord, the prophecy, there's a prophecy. You're going to come soon, okay? The grandchildren will come, plenty of them. When he comes, he won't stop, okay? Praise the Lord. Uh, he, he, he passes the bivocational church, okay? In other words, there's no full-time pastors in their church, you know? Everybody is bivocational. Uh, and, uh, and, and, I, and when he... Uh, shares this model I've heard this model many many times I come to only one conclusion there are three good reasons why this model works in Skyline number one Philip Lin number two Philip Lin number three Philip Lin um, he's an author not only does he speak well he also writes very well and also the books are available at the uh, at uh, at uh, Land afterwards uh, I, I, I'm not, the first book is called uh, The Call of Issachar second one Slingshots and number three the latest one Invasive Kingdom you must get this alright because he writes it from the perspective of a workplace so he's still working how do you uh, uh, intertwine workplace and his faith and so, so it's a very good book so please go ahead and get a copy of the book but more important than all of this I was always sharing I always say that as long as I live as long as he lives we are close friends alright so will you welcome on the stage my close friend and one of my best friends Pastor Dr. Philip Lin from SIB Skyline come on church you can do better than this let's give him once again every year an SIBKL welcome whoa Oh. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, I'm always blown away by Pastor Chu's uh, very kind comments. But you know, that when a friendship that survived over many, many years. When I first went to Sabah 40 years ago, uh, he was the first person to greet me at the airport in Kota Kinabalu. Can you imagine that? This is the first person I, I bumped into. He was there uh, to greet me. 
And uh, you know, we have been friends since the days uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. When we were both cavemen, you know, fighting spiritual forces of darkness and slaying all the spiritual T-Rexes. And we had no fear. Now, a bit older, we have a little bit of fear. Just a bit. We fear our wives a bit, but that's uh, by the the way. Uh, You know, but we have been friends for 40 years and it's been a a wonderful time uh, just just, uh, growing this uh, wonderful friendship. And uh, I'd just like to say, you know, it's, it's a joy just to be here with all of you again. If you're alive in Jesus and you are enthusiastic about God and you are still breathing, can somebody give God a big shout and a big hand? Come on, hallelujah. Woo! Amen. Amen. And uh, here with me today uh, is uh, Pastor Josh, who is one of our 10 executive pastors. Pastor Josh, could you please stand up? Yeah, he was preaching yesterday, if you were there, he was here in the first service, and Nancy, my wife, is also with me. Yeah, we've been married for, we've been married for 42 years, and after 42 years, we are still holding hands. But these days, it's more for stability than anything else, okay? How many of you have been to a cave before? Can I see your hands? Have you visited Mulu Caves? I don't know about you, but the caves are pretty rough places, you know, and sometimes, Uh, They show you up like nothing else will. Um, uh, Let me tell you a story uh, of uh, a young Malaysian couple. They were honeymooning in the United States. They went to the Grand Canyon. And they came to a spot in the Grand Canyon called Echo Valley. And, you know, it's one of those popular spots where if you stand at that spot and you shout, you get the echo back. And so the wife said to the husband, why don't you give it a try, dear? So he stood there and he said, and he shouted the, the, loudly the Malaysian word. He said, rubbish. Nothing came back. So the wife said, maybe you try something longer, a short phrase or longer sentence. So he stood there and said, I am the handsomest looking husband in the whole world. Back came the echo, rubbish. Today, I want to speak about lessons from the cave. And I want to talk to you about David's life when he was in the cave of Adullam, when he was on the run from King Saul. And in that time, some things happened to his life that really, really just changed the men who were around him. So I'm going to speak this morning about lessons from the cave. What was the cave of Adullam like? We take up that story in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 to 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. Somebody say 400. You watched the movie 300? This is the famous 400. Okay, and this, I want to take you to the journey of this 400. Now, the guys who came to him, this 400 original, they were the outcasts of society. They were the bums. They were the guys who were in debt, in distress, and discontent. They owed people money. The Arlongs were chasing them all around town. They were in distress. They probably were dysfunctional themselves, or they came from dysfunctional families, or they, they, their families were dysfunctional. They were in distress. They were all kinds. They were getting into fights with people. They were 
They were, mal- uh, they were malcontents or discontents. They didn't fit into society. They were kind of anti-establishments. Everywhere they went, they were causing trouble. Somehow, when David went to the cave of Adullam at that point in time, when he escaped there, about 400 men of this kind of genre gravitated towards him and formed the famous 400 in the cave of Adullam. Not a very prospective crowd. Not the kind of people that you want around you at any time. But come to think of it, all of us here, we were not that prospective either when we first came to know Jesus. God picked up us, us out from the rubbish heap and redeemed us and made us his own. Somebody say amen. So this morning, I want to just talk about this, how this crowd of people transformed. Because when you come to 1 Samuel 20, 2 Samuel 23, you know, one book later, when David was reminiscing towards the end of his life, towards the end of his reign, towards the end of his life, thinking about the cave of Adullam, those days in the cave of Adullam, you know, he reflected on what some of these men became. And what did they become like? 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 11 tells us some of these men. And there was the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jashobim. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next was Eliezer. He killed until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. Wow. Next was Shammah, who held his ground in the middle of the field of lentils and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. And these were only three of 37 names uh, that filled chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. At least 37 guys who became commanders of hundreds and thousands, whom David used to build the backbone of the fighting force that would enable him to reestablish the kingdom and to extend the borders of Israel and to build the nation. Hey, but these 400, they were just bums. They were just outcasts. They were social derelicts. But yet, they became mighty men. Just to give you an idea of how totally committed they were to David. There was one time in the cave of Adullam, uh, this happened. A few verses later, it tells us, once when David was at the cave of Adullam, an elite group amongst David's fighting men went down to meet him there. David remarked longingly, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. You must remember David's kind of a very sentimental guy and his hometown was Bethlehem. Now, your mind can go back to your hometown, but in Bethlehem, there was a beautiful pool of water outside the gates of Bethlehem. The only problem right now is that Bethlehem was in the hands of the Philistines, the enemy. And there was a garrison, a fort there in Bethlehem. And there was lines and lines of Philistine armies separating him. He was in the Judean wilderness from Bethlehem, about a day's journey away. And David said, you know, oh, it's so hot and dusty here. And I just wish I had some water, beautiful water from the springs of my hometown. And guess what they did? This group of elite men. So they broke through the Philistine lines. They drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem and brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. When the water came back, David looked at it and said, this is blood water. I can't drink this water. This water would have cost you your life. So he poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. This is the quality of the men who was with him. They would die for him. They would take an arrow, not a bullet, but they would take an arrow for him any day. Anytime, they were the backbone that he used to build 
the nation and to establish the kingdom and to establish the borders and extend the borders of the nation of Israel during his reign. How, the big question therefore is, how did this happen? How did 400 social outcasts and bums of society now became such an incredible fighting force to get to this background? Because this has lessons for all of us. Because you know, it's, it's like, how does a church become strong when it begins its days in the cave? And I tell you, SIBKL, you began your days in the cave. Many of you don't know it, but SIBKL is what, 30 plus years old? 30, 30 years old, SIBKL. You know, I, I remember the days, 30 years ago, when you guys were in a small place up in uh, Damansara Rutama, in the uptown area. You know, you had to trundle up, you had to really struggle to get four floors up to the top floor. And then, you know, just packed out in that, in that two shop lot room and everything else. Lah. And Pastor Lee Chu was playing the keyboard. Can you imagine? Very anointed those days, but you know, <laughs> those days. <laughs> and, and it was incredible. Those were the cave days. Now you look at now, you look around you. These are the days when you move from cave to city, to country and nation. But how did that happen? And when we look at how this happened, we have to go back to the days when David revealed to us his own heart. Because something of his own heart and his own spirit impacted his people and transformed them. Just like many of you today, you're here because you've been transformed by both the culture, the atmosphere that God has brought through your pastors and leaders into this place. And you have been part and parcel of what God has done. So today, I want to take you back to Psalm 57, Lessons from the Cave. We can find out what happened. What were the dynamics that caused this conversion, this change in the people? By going back to look at David's heart and the dynamics of his relationship with God and also with his people during this time. And one of the Psalms where we can see this, we have these insights to glean from would be Psalm 57. Because he wrote the Psalm from the cave. It's called a victim of David when he fled from Saul to the cave. And there's only one time in his life he went to the cave and there was the cave of Adullam. And it says a mictum of David. What does the word mictum mean? Actually, scholars up to today don't know what the word mictum is. There's no kind of equivalent in the Hebrew language. So they always, everybody is guessing. But we know that the word mictum appeared about six times in the Bible. And every time it was subtitled in a psalm. It was in Psalm 16. It's in Psalm 55 to 60, six times. And what was common to all these psalms was, number one, they were all written by David. Number two, they were written at a time when he was in great distress. And number three, probable danger to his life, almost certain danger to his life. Number four, when he cried out to God. And number five, when God delivered him. And God delivered him. That was a commonality in all these psalms. So people think that the word mictum probably means, because the word mictum has a root that is akin to meaning inscribed or engraved. And so they think that the word mictum probably means that these psalms were so precious to David because they were written in his watershed movements, crisis watershed movements, that he had them eventually inscribed or engraved in something permanent. That in the latter part of his life, he could look at them again and never forget them and sing about them, about God's goodness as he reflected in the past. That's the idea that this that the word mictum means. So they were precious, precious psalms to David. And Psalm 57 was one of the mictums. Now when we look 
at this, we will find that there are three keys. Three keys by which this whole process took place that we can glean from Psalm 57. Firstly, all the people who were with him believed together in the cave. They came to believe together. Not just believe in a man, much more than a man. They came to believe together in the cave. And this is the process by which they came to believe together. Number one, David was very open about his mess. You know what? If you're living in a cave and you've got nowhere else to go and you've got 400 men with you, you don't have a private room where you can go and shout to God about your mess and all the problems. Everybody knows your mess. You know, and, and this is what David did because when you opened Psalm 57, he cried out to God about his mess. He said, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul thirsts in you and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills the promise for me. I cry out to God most high. I cry out. When you cry out in a cave, everybody hears you. There's no private room. And he was crying about his mess. Why? He says, be merciful. Merciful. If you read the King James, actually it's merciful or mercy appears three times. He was asking God for mercy and mercy because he screwed up big time. Big time. You know, shortly after... Um, you know, when he first became the giant killer, he killed Goliath, right? And immediately his star, you know, he became the biggest star in the whole kingdom. Everybody knew about David, the giant slayer. And all the women were singing about David. David has killed his 10,000, you know, Saul only 1,000. And he became the bright shining star. And everywhere he went as a general and he commanded the army, he won all the battles. And then eventually Saul brought him into the royal court, became part of the royal lineage because Saul gave his daughter to be married to David. So he could do no wrong. And then suddenly, overnight, Saul became extremely insecure and saw David as a threat to his throne and then set about trying to kill David. And David, you know, got wind of this and eventually, and fled. And suddenly, everything went south. He fled to a, a village called Nob, where the tabernacle of the Lord was in the tent, and there was a high priest called Abimelech there. He bluffed his way through into Abimelech and said that he was an errand from Saul. And, you know, he, he needed some food because he ran out of food. Abimelech gave him uh, some showbread from the table of the Lord, which he shouldn't have, but he took it anyway. And then he took Goliath's sword, okay? Abimelech gave it to him because he said he had no time to even get weapons because he, you know, he had to leave in such a hurry. He was lying all the time. And Abimelech gave these things to him. And, and then when Saul heard about it, he thought Abimelech, the high priest, was part of the Passover conspiracy. And he killed Abimelech. And so because of, Saul, of, of David's deception, Abimelech, an innocent high priest of Israel, died. And then David then went to, uh, to the Philistines. He went to Gath and, and, and entered the camps of the Philistines. And they, they said to him, aren't you the giant killer? You're the famous man in Israel. And what are you doing in here? He said, no, I've just decided, you know, to take a break. I want to just come and join you all. And, you know, because there are some problems back in, in Israel. And, and then they were looking distrustful at him. And then suddenly he knew he had come out of the frying pan into the fire. He'd got into a worse situation than before. And his life was in even greater danger amongst the Philistines. So he feigned madness and eventually escaped from the Philistine by the skin of his teeth. Everything went south. He lost his mojo. And everything he touched, you know, went south, he turned rotten overnight until he was just hounded out and he ran, isolated one man into the Judean wilderness. And then he hid in the cave called Adullam. 
And that's when the 400 men somehow heard about this guy hiding in the caves in Jadalim. 400 outcasts of society, you know, and all the derelict social relics came and gravitated towards him. And this is where he cries out, number one, be merciful to me because I've made such a big mess of my life. I've got a big mess of my life. Be merciful, God. Be merciful. And he cried out to God, most high. So he was firstly open about his mess. Now, one of the things about leadership, many people tell us is, don't show your weakness. Don't be real. You know, basically curate your, 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 curate your public appearances, especially your followers. Just curate it. Because, you know, I will tell you, many, many people have spent years and years layering and layering their curation of their, of their, uh, you know, of their public image. Eventually, you find out that the leader is not real. He's not authentic. I will tell you one thing about your pastor. He's a very real man. I've known him for 40 years. He's incredibly real. I mean, you, if, you, if you want to know, you know, we, we were neighbours together in KK. And neighbours together means we know almost everything. We can hear everything. I will tell you, I didn't hear a single quarrel. Only animated discussions, yeah, but no quarrel. Okay. <laughs> just like Nancy and I, we have animated discussions, but, but no quarrels. Right now. You know, we, we, we just, we, we knew each other. He's real. If, you, if Pastor Chu is angry, you know it. If Pastor Chu is irritated, you know it. But if Pastor Chu is upset, you know it. But if Pastor Chu is like, wow, full of God, he loves his God, you know it. He, he's real. He's the same guy that I've known over 40 years. You know what I mean? After 40 years, I still see him the same guy. You know, talks very fast, eats very fast, walks very fast, thinks very fast. One thing's done very fast also, okay? That's the same, same, same guy. He's almost like a Marvel DC superhero. I feel like calling him Super Chew, you know, okay? Same, same guy. He's authentic. He's real. He's not one of those that curate a public image. Uh, you know, like some, some people, you know, they always say the joke, you know, first year, you know, before they get married, you know, he talks, she listens. After they get married, she talks and he listens. After seven years of marriage, they both talk, the neighbors all listen. Okay. <laughs> None of that. Pastor's real. I've known some of the things that he's gone through. Yeah. Both he and Pastor Lee Chu. Be merciful to me. Be merciful. They don't. You have a pastor who, is, who doesn't curate his public image, but who is real. And David Benz saw this. He saw that. He has messed up his life. He was in a mess. He no longer relying on his strength. But this is the second thing. He was open not just about his mess. He was open about his God. So where do you go to when you're in a mess? Where do you go to when you, when you have challenges? He was open about his God. Read this again. Be merciful to me, oh God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to the Lord Most High, to God who performs all things for me. It's so hard. Got mess. Why is, why is totally God-centric? He he, he's not using his own wit and wisdom and street smartness to get out of all his problems like he used to before. He's looking to God. Nobody can deliver him. And he's crying out to God in prayer. In desperation, he's crying out to God. And in a cave, Everybody hears it. He's not called some smart street plan to get out of his problems. You know, he just, I'm crying out to God. Lord, to the Lord Most High, be merciful to me. What's the posture of prayer for most of us? You see, when you come into that realm, you enter into the eye of a storm. You can have things swirling around you. Many of us, we have things swirling around us. Where do you go? Well, you can actually just think about plans. 
make a phone call to this, uh, try to, you know, do this, and try to uh, activate this plan, but what's the best thing you can do? Cry out to God first. Go back to the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm, everything is still. And in the cave, he cried out to God. He's surrounded by Saul's armies. He's got nowhere to run. He's virtually, as they say, a dead duck. David was open. Only God can rescue him. And that was his posture of prayer. Reminds me of a story about three bishops. Uh, they were arguing in a, you know, in a high tower. They were in a in kind of a big tall office block and they were arguing as about which was, which was the best posture to pray. The Pentecostal bishop said the best posture to pray is to stand up to God, pray in tongues, lift up your hands and surrender your life to God. And God will help you because your left hands are lifted up and you're surrendered. No, 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 said the Anglican bishop, the best posture to pray is to be on your knees because God sees the humility of your heart. You kneel before Him. No, 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 said the Roman Catholic bishop. The best posture to pray is when you go prostrate before the ground, fall on your face. God will hear you. That God will always answer that kind of prayer because most humble. And the window cleaner who was cleaning the, the window said, uh, he couldn't help overhearing the conversation. He said, excuse me, gentlemen, I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. But you know, last week, I was cleaning uh, you know, windows from one of his tall buildings and I, I discovered the best posture to pray. I said, oh, what was the best posture? He said, I accidentally tripped and fell out of the window and hung upside down the window with my legs over the edge of the window, ledge of the window. And I found that was the best position to pray. So what about you? How desperate are you? And when De David was desperate, that's what he did. He was open about his God. You don't need to be close about your God. But when you are open about God in a desperate situation, that means you truly trust God. People can see that. You're real. You're not hiding in a corner somewhere. You're real. Here's the third thing. David was open about his partnership. These are the things that made the people around him believe. They believed because he was open. They saw it. They saw it in the cave. David was open about his partnership or his dependence on God. This is what, it, what he said. I will cry out to God most high. See, I will cry out to God most high. Partnership. To God who performs all things for me. Partnership. He shall send from heaven and save me. Partnership. It's a dependence. I'm totally dependent there. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. See the partnership? I'm not just alone with God, but God, you are with me. You have not left me. You will not forget me. You will never leave me or forsake me. Even though I don't see things changing, you are still with me. Somebody say amen. And that's his third posture. David was totally open about his dependence on God. And the men around him, they saw this. Because it's a prayer from a cave. Nowhere else to go. You see, he's probably praying this every day in the same kind of fashion. Maybe not the same words, but the same kind of fashion. That's a posture of his heart. And David said, you know, there are, there are, there are, my enemies are up to swallow me. They want to swallow me up. You know, I'm just a small plankton. And Saul, the big humpback whale, is about to swallow me up. I'm insignificant. Nobody cares about me, but, you know, God, you are with me. You are with me during this time. You know, during this time, even as David said these words, nothing had changed. It was not that when he fin finished his prayer, wow, things changed. He got delivered immediately. No, no, no. Days passed by, nothing changed. Weeks, nothing changed. Months, nothing changed. Maybe years, nothing changed. But he's still praying. You are with me. 
He's still open about his dependence upon God. He's still open about his God. He's still open about the fact that although he has the mess, God's the one who can solve your help and solve the mess. Somebody say amen. That's when many people, when they see day turn to month, weeks and weeks turn to month, nothing happens. That's when they turn their backs. And they say, God, well, there's no real partnership here. You know what? I don't think God sees. I don't think God cares. And they turn their backs. Just like reminds me of a story of a couple. They've been married for about 10 years. And, uh, and uh, the man fell, broke his hip. It was a hospital. The wife came to visit him. And uh, as the wife held his hands, he said, you know what? Martha, I've been thinking. You know, when we first got married 10 years ago, shortly after that, we were involved in a, a, a car accident. You were with me, Martha. I remember that. He says, and shortly after that, a few years later, our factory burned down. You were with me, Martha. And then, you know, a couple of years after that, you know what? You know, the bank withdrew our, you know, our business loan. And we had to struggle to avoid being a bankrupt. And you were with me, Martha. And now I've broken a hip, you know, in an accident. And you're here. You're with me, Martha. Martha, I've come to this conclusion. You're just bad luck for me. And that's how many of us treat God. Just bad luck. God, one month, two months, six months, God, nothing, nothing. How can I depend on you? David wrote, he said this, when he finished this prayer and he continued to pray, weeks turned to months, the men saw it. They saw he was open about his God. Yeah, he was open about his mess. Yeah, he was open about his partnership and his dependence on God. And something began to change in their lives. And I believe that that's how God brought many of you here. Because don't forget, the roots of SIBKL is from the cave. It's really from the cave. You know, I know those early days from the cave. We had nothing. I remember taking a church camp up in Genting Highlands when Pastor Chu asked me to take. Do you know how big the church camp was? Yeah, 50 people. 50 people, 40, 50. That's it. Fill one small room. Church camp up in Genting Highlands. Where? 50 people can put in a cave flower. Cave can take 50 people one. That's where you came from. But today, you look. You know, you carry the heart of your senior pastors, heart of your pastors, part of your elders, and heart of your leaders. Where, where did it come from? You have, a, you have, a, you have a, a heart for the nation. Where did it come from? Because your, your pastors are transparent. They're open about their hearts for the nation. They cry to God for the nation. You cry. You believe. They have a heart for East Malaysia and for the tribes in East Malaysia, the, Christ, uh, Christian, the church in East Malaysia. Where does that come from? You are a city church in the Cape, capital city of KL. You have enough problems in KL, enough problems in the nation, enough problems in your city. You've got enough, enough to just keep you occupied. Why you can't? Because the heart of your pastors is the heart. They cry before God for East Malaysia. That's why you cry. Because you believe. It's the same way you believe that whatever it is that's challenging our nations, whatever the problems in our nations, you know, flesh and blood cannot change it on its own. You need spiritual change. Can somebody say amen? You need to encounter the spiritual force of darkness. That's why you stand and begin to intercede and pray and fast. Why would you do that? Because you have so many successful people here who have lots of know-how. You know what I mean? Lots of resources. Come on. But you believe that nothing can change and turn unless you get the spiritual side right first. 
and you pray and you fast, you cry out to God, and you begin to pray and fast and cry out to God. Why? Because you're open. You're open with their lives. Your leaders, your pastors, Pastor Lee Chu, Pastor Bing Chi, they're open with their lives. You need to pray. Nothing happens if you don't get the engine right. And this is what David did. And the man slowly began to believe. They must understand these men who came to him, the 400, they've, they've done all kinds of things. They're very street smart one. They're the kind of guys who can borrow money and don't return money one. They know how to do it. They know one. They're risk takers. They're in debt. They don't care. They can, you can owe money to 10 alongs and still survive. They, these are street smart guys. But now, they begin to believe. Because they see that this guy, David, do you know what? The king, the whole nation is after him. He didn't depend on their street smart cries out to God. So they believe. They believe together. Here's the second thing. When they began to believe, they began to belong together in the cave. So when, when you believe together, you begin to belong. You believe that, you know, yeah, we're not, you're not, you know, we are not potentially the best kind of, uh, uh, you know, configuration in terms of, you know, community, for God to use to change our nation or touch lives or build or rebuild the nation. We're not, you know, we're just the outcasts, we're the social outcasts and the misfits and the derelicts. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, you know, we, we're not very, we don't have great potential. And that's why God has brought you and I here. We never had great potential in our lives. We're in the dustbins of our lives. We had no purpose, we had no meaning in our lives. You know, we're consigned to go our own ways. We, we're people without purpose, meaning deep down inside there was a, there was a void and many of us, you know, there was dysfunction in our lives, all kinds of things, fear, all kinds of things oppressing our lives. And then God picked us up from a rubbish bin. We were like the social outcasts. We were like the 400. And He brought us in. And you came and you began to believe. When you began to believe, you began to change. You began to become. You began to belong. Because you belong together and they belong together in the cave. You know, if you have this kind of distress, discontent, in debt kind of people, you put just, you know, no need 400, just put 20 of them together, they'll start fighting non-stop for the rest of it, you know. They'll fight, they'll fight. 400, they stayed together with David, probably for years. Why? Because they belonged together. He was able to knit them into a, a great community. The two reasons why he was able to do that, number one, they shared the same spirit that he had. This is what David said, verse 4. My soul is among lions. I lie amongst the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues are sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your joy be above all the earth. Who was he talking about? My soul is among lions. I lie amongst the sons of men who are set on fire. So commentators are divided. Some commentators said he's talking about the enemies, the souls, you know, and his armies who are chasing after him. These are the guys, you know, whose teeth are spears and arrows. But I beg to differ. I, I believe that some of the commentators are right when they say that David was referring to the own, his own men, the 400 was with him. Why? Because he said, I lie among the sons of men. I sleep with them. I'm lying with them. I'm sleeping with them. They were social outcasts. They were bums. Now my soul is lying amongst lions. They have become lions. Their hearts are set on fire. 
Their teeth and uh, spears and arrows, you know, they still got, and their tongues are sharp sword. Yeah, maybe their language not changed yet. Everywhere they go, you know, every, their vocabulary is still pretty crude and, rude and lewd, you know. They've got blankety blank and four-letter words all over the place. They still haven't changed the language, but their hearts, lions, fire. I lie amongst these men. They shared the same spirit, the spirit of boldness, which you saw earlier on when they actually broke through the ranks of the Philistines to get water for David. And now faith begins to come in. And this is what this church is, a church of faith. Somebody say, Amen. I tell you, you cannot hang around this church too long without growing your faith. Because it's contagious here in this church. Can somebody say, Amen? Can, you, can somebody say, Amen to that? You, your, 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 your faith is contagious. Your, it becomes, you pick up the faith that's in this church. And then, they shared the same adversity. So they shared the same spirit. They caught that spirit and they began to mold. But that spirit was formed in the midst of adversity. Verses 6 and 7. They have prepared a net for my steps. Now David refers to the other side, which is Saul's armies, the guys who are after him, the enemy. They, he calls them they. His own men, sons of men, who are like lions. Now he tells them, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. They shared the same adversity. And adversity is a wonderful cauldron for forming character, forming resilience, forming faith. Can somebody say amen? Without that, it's not going to happen. You know, I don't know if any of you have come across a book called Startup Nation. Many years ago, about 12 years ago, I picked it up from a uh, airport bookstore. I, I'm in the habit of just browsing airport bookstores. It's a good habit, by the way. Do that because you will know what's the cultural changes happening out in the world today. Yeah, just to keep up with what's, what's the cultural thinking. So I picked up this book called Startup Nation. And this Startup Nation is really about the nation of Israel. Okay? Nine million people. Do you know what? One of the great things you, people don't realize is that if you go to the American Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, Okay, not the Dow, but the NASDAQ, which is a tech stock exchange. You go to the NASDAQ. Do you know the greatest, the third, the, the country that has produced the third number of, um, of companies, tech companies on the NASDAQ, the third number of startups in the NASDAQ is Israel, which is the first country, the United States. Most number of startups on, on NASDAQ. Second, China. What is the population of the United States? 350 million. What's the population of China? 1.5 billion. What is the population of Israel? 9 million. It's a drop in the whole ocean of humanity. And yet, there are the third largest number of companies from one nation on the Nasdaq Stock Exchange today. How did that happen? How did it become a startup nation like that? And the answer is in the national service. One of the answers from this book is in the national service. See, the national service is where the men serve for just under three years, the women for two years in the national service. It's a very fair system, totally egalitarian. Nobody escapes the national service. You can't be, you know, I'm a you know, son of a big businessman, a tycoon or politician. You can never escape the national service. Everybody goes to the national service and they mix everybody up in the national service. Now, the thing about national service uh, for Israel is this. For many countries, you go into national service, like you know, in Singapore, right? you never fight war one, you go to Singapore, national service. You never see action one, no? You go alive, you come out alive one. 
just one death and there are problems in the Singapore National Service. You know what I mean? In Israel, you go to National Service, you might not come back. But suddenly, be involved in a war, like now. So when you are in the National Service, you can get a rich son's tycoon, a son being there. His father is a multi-billionaire. You might have a politician's son. You might have a, somebody who's a tech wizard, a nerd, a true tech wizard. You may have somebody who is a carpenter's son. You may have somebody who is just, you know, just out of high school. There's somebody who is actually an academic from university and somebody who's very good with his hands and doing things and somebody who's just a dreamer with creative ideas. You're all in the same trench and you've got to have each other's backs and you've got to trust each other because your life will depend on the person next to you. You learn to trust. You have the same spirit. You have the same adversity. Even though you don't like each other, you have to live it out. Stick it out for the next three years. And when you come out of the service, you become friends. You may not like each other, but you're friends because of trust. And now you have a creative idea. Oh, you feel that you want to do this tech thing to change the world because you already feel, but no money to invest. Hey, I know this tycoon son. His father got money. How about this? Because he trusts me. So maybe I can share the idea with him. Oh, there's a tech guy, you know, in my, in, in my, my national service. He knows how to get this thing started. Oh, there's somebody, you know, who knows a link to a businessman who has an entry into this other factory. You see what I mean? This is the composite that comes together, that brings startups. What is the common, common thing? They share adversity. They share the same spirit. And that's why Israel has become the third most Ah, prolific nation in startups in the world. 9 million versus 1.5 billion in China versus 350 million in the United States. Just think about it. Adversity, same spirit. So when that happened, they belong. They belong. Like all of you here, you're in a great church, you belong. It's not just to collect 20 cents of sermon inspiration every Sunday that you were worth it. God has a purpose for each and every one of you and for this church in the nation and in the city. Somebody say, Amen! Hallelujah! And therefore, if you're caught up in this, that's why God has brought you here. That's why God has brought you here. See, I always tell people the three most important decisions in your life. Number one, whether you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number one decision. Number two, who you marry. Number three, which church do you plant yourself in? third most important decision in your life. It will determine what you become. And so, when you belong, you suddenly realize, I begin to have a vision for the nation. I have a vision for, 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 for my family. I have a vision for my community. I have a vision for East Malaysia. I have a vision for, 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 for this land. I have a vision to change. Otherwise, I just care about my 20 cents worth of sermon. And you know, whether, you know, I, you know, whether Manchester United wins tomorrow, you know. That's all I care about. So here's the second thing. And then David says, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. My heart is steadfast, God. My heart. He will say, so when these men become and they belong, he says, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. There are people who want to throw me into a pit, but my heart is steadfast. Somebody say, steadfast. Remember when he says this, he's not out of the woods yet, but my heart is steadfast. And this resoluteness of his men together with him 
made them an incredible fighting force. You know, one of the reasons why Alexander the Great was able to conquer vast swaths of land was not just because he was an incredible general and incredible military strategist, but because of the almost absolute loyalty of his men. Uh, legend has it that one day he came to a huge fortress in the Middle East. He was advancing, his army was advancing, came to a huge um, city in the Middle East, fortress literally, and uh, he came up to ask the king who was at the top of the fortress wall to surrender. The king said, why should we surrender? We have a couple of years or more of all kinds of supplies. We can keep ourselves. We don't need to surrender to you. You, you will starve and die. Well, why should we surrender to you? The king said. And legend has it that Alexander the Great turned to the men who were behind him in a platoon and he ordered them to march in a straight line. And they all, they have started marching in a straight line towards a cliff. And one, he didn't give the order to stop. So one by one, they all marched off the cliff, one after another to certain death, one by one. And by the time he reached about half a dozen, 10 men, he ordered them to stop. And he said to the, the king up there, that's the reason why you must surrender. The king went back, thought about it. The next day, he surrendered. Absolute loyalty. There was this, this spirit that he was able to put within his man. And when God gives you the contagion here as a community, you have a spirit where you're, you, even though things have not changed, you're, you're there. You're holding on to God. You're absolutely, you believe that even though things are not good around you, God is a good God. Somebody say amen. Then you believe around you in the midst of that, although there's a mess, God is able to redeem your mess and change and turn it around. Somebody say amen. You believe that all the things have not come in a breakthrough yet. God is going to bring the breakthrough in your life and you will change because part and parcel of your belonging to your faith community. Somebody say amen. One old person cannot do very much, but together you can impact the nation. You can impact the city. You can change your spiritual forces in the heavenly. Somebody say amen. Because you believed. You belong. And here's the third thing that formed them. Yeah, they became. They became together in the cave. Verses 8 to 11. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. This is David now praising God. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awake the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, amongst the people. I will sing to you amongst the nation. For your mercy reaches unto the heaven and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. You remember this? This song, you know, it's a wonderful song. He's praising God. Here's a cave, right? He's in a cave. Everybody here is him praising God. You exalted a God above the heavens. Your glory is above all the earth. Hallelujah. He's shouting. He's praising God. But nothing has changed. Nothing has changed yet. We don't know how long things have changed. Many people think, ah, oh, God delivered, uh, God delivered uh, David already, right? No, the answer is, when did David write this? Was it after everything was over? Or was it when he was still in the wilderness? When did he write this? He wrote this when he was still in the wilderness. This is a mictum or a psalm of David when he was in the cave. When? Not after. When? Wow. Can praise God like that one now? Even in the midst of our situation, you join this church, you're part and parcel of SIBKL, they're like that. Because the senior pastor is like that. Senior pastor all like that. The leaders are like that. The elders are like that. So you're like that. Situation come back to us. Hallelujah, God, we praise you. You are good, God. 
like that. And then when it became like that, the people became, they began to change from a force that, you know, you know, you know, this social outcast, always tipu orang wana, always cause problem wana, wherever they go, always big, pick up quarrel with people wana, always anti this, anti that, anti everything wana, you know, all these social outcasts and social misfits la, they all came together and they changed. They changed God's word. They became. And this became, it became a gelling of force and this force began to change the nation. Began to change the nation. Because this was written during the time when they were not out of the cave yet. It went through a few months, we think probably even years, a couple of years of this kind of running away. They were not out of the cave. But why is this praise so strong in making them become? I will tell you why. Because praise is a weapon of spiritual violence. No, praise is not, why does praise work? When we praise God, suddenly we feel faith rising. We feel that God will see us through. We feel connected to God. We feel gelled together as God's people. We feel that His purpose and that we feel strong again in our spirit. Why is praise so powerful? Because it is a weapon of spiritual violence. But how does it work? Many people think, oh, praise works because of this, because you have a picture, you know. Maybe God is asleep up there, you know. And if you make enough noise down here on earth, you'll wake him up. You know what? Because things are getting from bad to worse. Doesn't he see? Hey, come on, God, you're good. God, hallelujah, I praise you. And God says, ah, yeah, what's this noise down there? Hey, God, call God, come and help us. Hallelujah, you're a good God. And you, you shout, make praise. And God says, ah, yeah, yeah, I'm late. You see? Is that how he does it? No. Because the Bible tells us, He who guards Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. He doesn't sleep. He sees. So, so maybe uh, praise works because, you know, by praising God, we give Him ego massage. He massages ego. You know? Or well, human beings, you massage their ego. Oh, oh, they will do anything to help you. You're so good. That handsomest looking guy. You know, you're so pretty. La. You know, massage your ego. Oh, okay, okay, okay. What do you want? I'll help you. La. We think that's like, we give praise is spiritually massaging God's ego. Hey, He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Creator of the Universe. What does it need? A small bit of ego, you know, stroke from you. It doesn't need it. Stupid to think like that. Why is praise so powerful? Why is it as a weapon of spiritual violence? Because it comes out of the same stable as faith. Praise is the wings on which faith sits. Faith is wing walking on the wings of praise. If you don't have praise and your faith doesn't work, your faith will, will go down. It will drop like a, a dive bomber and splash into the sea. But if you have praise, you will, to use your senior pastor's word, fly high, last long. You all know that. Because faith sits on the wings of praise. So David said, you are, you are God. You are wonderful. You are the God. And when he said that, you know already, they have moved from belief. They have moved from belief to belong. And now they became, they became that group. They began to change into a fighting force, into a force with which he can rebuild the nation on the day that he came back as king. And this is what God is doing to your life. Every one of you prophetically, everyone, wherever you are in your life right now, whatever challenges, whatever your disappointments, however much you see, sometimes you know what? Things are not moving through for me. 
I want you to remember, you were plucked from the cave. Amen. You were plucked from all of us. We were plucked from the cave. When we were without hope, we were without any meaning, without purpose. You know, we're just getting on with our own life and we we're doing things the best way. And deep down inside was a deep void and we we're dark, caught in our, our sins of darkness. God plucked us from the cave. And now He takes us on a journey with Him here in this church. Then we believe. Then we belong. Then God makes us become. Because as you continue, you will become. You become somebody that God will just cause to bring favor upon your family. Can somebody say amen? How many of you need a miracle in your family? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air right now. They'll bring favor. They'll bring a breakthrough into your family, into your business, into your life. Whether you're in debt or discontent or distress, these are the kind of guys, they're like that. They believe, they belong, and now they became. And that's why I want to say prophetically to SIB Church, we have not seen what God's going to do. This is an incredible church. But because, like Pastor Chu, I've seen it. We all came from a cave. You started from the cave life. And look at it. You look around now. Just look. This doesn't look like a cave to me. It's an incredible place. Not just one. You've got two places. And look at the influence. Look at the impact. Look at the, the content, the composition of people. It's incredible. Resource. Huge. But our beginning was from the cave. And when we do, that's why God calls us to impact our city, impact the nation, impact East Malaysia. And that's why, you know, if you want to pick up a book, um, a few books I've written, The Invasive Kingdom, it's about impacting the workplace out of your cave. So they're out of, out of a Sunday morning, Sunday, so that on Monday, you'll be out of the cave and impacting the workplace. And the undergirding of this is prayer, so that you begin to pray, because as you cry out to God, that's the change that came upon David's men and will come to your life. And you need to pick up a book on the Barrio Revival called Rushing Wind. And uh, this book, together with the book that's before, called The Barrio Revival, both are excellent, outstanding books, will tell you about the first revival in Malaysia's history that was in Barrio. And although it took place in Malaysia, in East Malaysia, in the jungles of Sarawak, amongst the Kalabit people, any revival in Malaysia is our heritage. Can somebody say amen? East Malaysian revival is Malaysian revival. Amen. Barrio revival is KL revival. Amen. It is us. You must understand where we all came from. Those were cave days. That's where we came up from. That's our inheritance. That's our heritage. And you pick up that book, The Rushing Wind, or pick up the Barrio revival, which is a, a more annotated footnote book. A little bit more scholarly, but it's excellent. I, I read that, that book and I, I wept from, for, you know, I, I just wept when I was reading to it. It's an incredible book. But today, God says to all of us today, you know, wherever we are, everybody say after me, believe, say it loud, believe, believe. say it after me, say we believe, we believe, we belong, we, we, belong. Belong. we become. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. The Spirit of God is here and God is just speaking to each and every one of us. If truly for you, God has spoken to you, I want you, you know, to respond. Because right now, you must understand, God took us from the, the dust heap of life, brought us here so that we may be, believe, become and belong. But some of you may say, Pastor Philip, I don't know whether... I don't know right now, you know, what to believe. Believe that God loves you. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. 
Believe that without you, without Jesus, you are lost. Believe that. Believe. And now, Jesus knocks at the door of your heart and says, will you belong? If you open the door of your heart, He will come into your life and you can be part and parcel of God's new redeemed community here on planet Earth. You belong. God wants you to belong to Him. He wants you for Himself so that He can be your Father and you can be His son and daughter. And when that happens, you become. God will change your life from inside out and give you a new life, a new hope, a new destiny for your life, a new purpose and a new glory upon your life. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. If you say, Pastor Philip, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to open the door of my heart today. And you've never done that before. Today is your day of salvation. At a count of three, you say, Pastor Philip, I want to open my heart to Jesus. Just lift up your hand and lift up your head and look at me as you lift up your hand so I can acknowledge the hand. Wherever you are, to my right, left, front and back. If you say, Pastor Philip, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Will you now, at a count of three, just lift up your hand. Okay, three, two, one. Just lift it up and look at me wherever you are right now. If I, if I don't see the hand, would you wave it? Wait, I see a hand over there, sister. Thank you, God bless you. I see a hand over there. I, anyone here on a hand? And I see any hand up. I see a hand up there. Sister, God bless you. God bless you. I see a hand up there. You can put it down after I've acknowledged that hand. Anyone, any other hand up there? You've never given your heart to Jesus before, but today you say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to know that He can save me and He can change my life. I see a hand over there. Sister, you just put up your hand in, 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 yeah, in a white t-shirt. God bless you. I see a hand over there. Thank you, God. Anyone? I see a hand over here, sir. Gentlemen over here, God bless you. I see a hand over there. Right now. There are others I know. And you say, Pastor Philip, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. Then just lift up your hand. I'll count it one more time. Yeah, one, two, three. If you're not put up your hand, just lift it up right now. One more time. Sir, I see the hand over there. Can you look at me over there? God bless you. I see the hand over there. God bless you. I see a hand over there. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see a hand right at the top in the balcony as well. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Yes. God is here all over. And He's knocking at the door of your heart. And if you open the door of your heart and lift up your hand, He will come into your heart. Are you there right now? Anyone else? Anyone else? If I don't see your hand, wave it. I'm going to pray. For all those who have lifted up your hands, I want to pray for you, okay? Right now, right now, I'm going to ask everyone in the, in the church to stand up right now on your feet. Just stand up on your feet right now, including all those who put up their hands right now. And as I BKL, you pray with me. As I pray this prayer, all those who put up their hands, will you pray this prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, okay? Right now, and as I BKL, you pray aloud together with them to encourage them. Are you ready now? Say, Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you, God, that you came for me. Lord, I believe, even though I'm a sinner, you love me. So I believe that on the cross, you died for my sins. With my mouth, I confess, you are Lord. With my heart, I believe you rose from the dead. And today, I open the door of my heart. I invite you into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. Thank you, Jesus. I'm born again into your kingdom in this family of God. I praise you. I'm your, I'm your child. From this day onwards, this day 
In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Amen. 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 I want you to continue clapping for all those who put up your hands. Can I ask you to just make your way forward? I want to shake your hands right now. Can you just come forward? If you put your hands up just now, just come forward because I want to just shake your hands because, you know, we want to give you a resource that will help you with your new found spiritual life. Come on, let's give them a big hand. If you put up your hand, please come forward. Please come forward. Please come forward. Please come forward. Just come, just come, just come, just come, just come. Come on, let's give them a big hand. Oh, come on. Yes. If you put up your hand to receive Jesus and you prayed that prayer, please come forward. Please come forward. God bless. Come on, let's give them a big hand. Let's encourage. Let's encourage them. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In a short while, somebody's going to come to you. They'll pray for you, give you some resource to help you in your spiritual life. You belong to God's family. You're highly favoured, greatly blessed, deeply loved. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many of you, you believe, you believe God is going to take you out from whatever cave you are right now and bring you into the bright sunshine of His promises and hope for you. How many of you believe that? You believe that? How many of you believe that you really belong? This family that God has given you is a supernatural family. And if you plant yourself in this family, you will grow to the fullness of all that God wants for your life. How many of you believe that right now? You belong. How many of you believe that God is doing supernatural change in you, that together as an army of God here, we're going to change this world, change this nation, change the city, and bless the city for Jesus. How many of you believe that? Lift up your hands right now. I'm going to pray for you as we believe together. Lord, we know that our own backgrounds, God, is cave-like. We came from the cave of our sinfulness, the rubbish heap, oh God, of our own devices and ways. We came, oh God, from the cave of our own own ways and Lord because of that we are we have come Lord from from all kinds of dust heaps but you took your hand and you took hold of our lives when we open our hearts to Jesus and Holy Spirit you came into our hearts so that we believe we believed you gave us a faith to believe that in you there's a second chance to believe that our sins can be taken away to believe that you can redeem us from the pit and to give us a new life, not just on this world, but eternal life. And now, God, we thank you as we lift up our hands. We belong. And because as we belong here as your church, God, it will backflow into our families, into our businesses, into our workplaces, into our lives. So, Lord, as we belong together, you're shaping this church for the nation and for these times. And, Lord, we become. We thank you that you're transforming us to the glory of Jesus from grace to grace, strength to strength, from one degree of faith and one degree of glory to another. We give you praise today for what you've spoken to us. And Lord, from this day onwards, although we have come from a cave, we are no longer cave men or women. We are out now in the bright sunshine of all that you have for us so that we can touch lives in this kingdom for the glory of God. Help us right now as our hands are lifted up to be builders of our families, to be builders of lives, to be builders of our cities, to be builders of our nation and the nations beyond. For your kingdom glory, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Amen. Hallelujah.